Our story today sees Cyclops and Jean Grey mentally pulled from their present-day bodies into the future. Their daughter from a different timeline, Rachel Summers, is responsible. She reveals herself to be the Ascani mother that Cyclops surrendered his baby boy Cable to when he was infected with the techno-organic virus. The time has come for them to protect and raise him in this world ruled by Apocalypse. They spend the next decade in hiding, raising Nathan into early teen years. Eventually, Nathan's techno-organic virus grows out of control, and even though Rachel is now in a coma, she reaches out telepathically and helps Nathan gain control of it. Once this happens, he and Cyclops join Jean in a battle against Apocalypse. After defeating him once and for all, Jean and Cyclops are then sent back to the present to find they've been in S.H.I.E.L.D. custody. Nick Fury informs them that a dimensional rift has been opened, and if they can't close it, the entire world will be destroyed. This is Marvel Mythos. Hey, hey, namaste, my fellow Marvelous nerds. We are the Marvel Mythos Podcast. This is X-Men, The Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix. We're going to be talking about that four-issue miniseries plus X-Men 35, which kind of serves as the epilogue for that. I am your host, Brian Barley. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter at Marvel underscore Mythos. Today, I'm joined by the wonderful Liz Sparks. Hello. And the adjectiveless Adam Hoskins. How you doing? Yeah, I still remember. <laughs> yep. So, okay. So, this one... Uh, so Liz, you've kind of recently been exposed to X-Men mm-hmm. through this podcast, and this is probably the first you've really seen of the Cyclops and Jean Grey relationship outside of the wedding that we kind of read about. Yes. How did, how did you feel about them as a couple throughout this? They are so overwhelmingly wholesome that it was kind of hard to swallow sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, just a real nice, healthy relationship for yeah. the most part. So yeah. Good Surprisingly, for them. well, it's, it's kind of a weird <laughs> contrast from what we were seeing with the Psylocke stuff. Adam. Oh, yeah, the oil liquor and all that stuff. Yeah, because I mean, we were we were getting all this stuff with Psylocke, where it was building this tension where Cyclops was, you know, struggling with a lust problem over Psylocke, yeah. um, and Gene was not too happy about it. And in this one, it's like all that's kind of gone away, and I guess marriage makes everything better. Oh, I didn't know we were telling jokes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, we're all all married. We all agree with that assessment. So, yeah, yeah, Scott Lobdell probably had just gotten married. So he was like, I'm going to make marriage look amazing. (laughs) But uh, so this story is kind of very sci fi heavy. Not kind of, it is very sci fi heavy in that uh, Jean Grey and Cyclops are mentally pulled to the future by their daughter from a different timeline, Rachel Summers. Uh, yeah, I know, it's very confusing. Um, but uh, she apparently, as Mother Ascani, took DNA from their descendants and made clones for them to inhabit in this future. So, yeah, that's how the, the, the logic behind this story. And they're in the future to help raise Nathan Dayspring Summers, who would grow up to become Cable, which we all kind of know about from uh, previous issues and it's uh it's kind of crazy did you guys enjoy it or not it was definitely different i i mean it seemed really like oh we're in different bodies okay we'll roll with it oh our daughter's dying oh okay you know we'll go over here and do this thing we'll go over there and do that thing then we'll start worrying it's like i'd be flipping out if i was in somebody else's body <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean? it's like wait a second that's not mine no it's 
that's totally weird. And they just played it off like it was no problem at all. I'm, yeah. I can see that. I also can see from the crazy stuff that they've gone through in, uh, in the world of these comic books that they're probably just kind of like, oh, yay, another <laughs> insane thing has happened to us. Awesome. And then just kind of rolling with it. But no, I, I'm with you. I think there was a lot of... Um, them trying to figure out what was going on at first, uh, but I don't think it lasted very long. It was not even, I think, a f- half of the issue. Yeah. And then they get thrown into like a, a battle, and I think the battle is kind of what jars them back into like thinking like they normally would. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Liz, did you enjoy this reading at all? I th- I enjoyed it fine. I never really hated anything in it, but I don't. There just wasn't anything that really hit me hard enough where I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be one of my favorites that I return to. Yep. Yeah. I can see that. I, for me, it was interesting to finally go and read this story that I kind of had already heard about. Uh, like I knew a little bit of Cable's past in history uh, with the, being raised by Red and Slim, but I had never actually read this before and I don't know why. Um, but yeah, outside of that, like there's a couple of moments that I'm going to remember, but on the whole, it's kind of meh. It's kind of meh. So mm. All right, so in this, we, we have, uh, Liz, you, you made a compelling point about the, the authors of this. What, what was the correlation you picked up on? Oh, yeah, I, I kind of rolled my eyes when I saw this, because it's got to be planned, right? So the writer is named Scott, and the penciler is named Gene. <laughs> so... <laughs> so they've hired a Scott and Gene to handle this uh, yeah. throughout. So speaking of Scott Lobdell and Gene, was it Ha, I think, or Hey? I don't know how I you would pronounce it. Yeah. It's like H-A. So I don't know. Maybe he's just good by hey. But between the two of them, who do you think did a better job setting up this dystopian future? Was it the, the words or was it the imagery? I kind of wanted more of the world building. Um, I don't know. I liked the story. I thought the writing overall was well done. I thought Jean Grey was well written for someone who was written by a guy. I thought uh, <laughs> having That's read true. a couple X-Men's that where women were maybe questionable, I thought this was the best as far as that representation went. But uh, Even though she was like overly wholesome with Cyclops? Uh, I mean, yeah, but it if you exclude all the weird stuff that happens in like previous X-Men, like the, the oil licking and whatnot, and just like <laughs> pretend that they okay. were wholesome to begin with, then yeah, I thought it was good. There was some good banter in there. They're, they're really good about like, if one starts like getting really down on themselves, the other one's like, Nope, stop. You gotta pull together. This is not your fault. Stuff like that. So yeah. Yeah. And there was the, the line where he says, uh, Cyclops says something about her wanting the, what is it? The part about obeying him to be <laughs> written out of the vows, and then she's like, "Yeah, but not for that reason." And he's like, "Gene, not in front of the kids." Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, so they weren't totally wholesome, but yeah, but know. as a relationship, they were pretty clean. Adam, what did what did you think? Do you do you land with her in that uh, you wanted more world building, or how do you think? Yeah, you did? I, I mean, I, that's one of my big things. Is I like I love when they introduce something that big and new, and then there's hardly every, anything they ever touch on it. I mean, like Mojo World, when they've gone into that, it's it's been pretty fleshed out on how that, that whole situation is. But this, they just kind of like, yeah, everything's screwed up. Yeah, it felt not quite uh, not quite Mad Max, but but sort of, yeah, at least in the, in the look of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, I get where you guys are coming from there. And it, honestly, it makes me kind of wish we would have not necessarily a sequel to this, but at least something like other miniseries that was in this world, maybe even of um, 
Pryor Turin, who is a, I guess he was a human who was a cyborg. I'm guessing he was kind of merged with some mechanics or robotics. And he has this, uh, this ability to demand respect, even from mutants, even though he's what they call a flat scan um, as a human. And so just so in case you haven't read it in this future, apocalypse is the ruler and apocalypse is basically set up the mutants to kind of dominate everything. So if you are a normal human, then you are, you know, basically a servant or at least um, inferior to the mutants that live in this world. Yet somehow in this little town that's designated for humans, prior Turin has risen up the landscape to become respected by mutants to the point that if they go against him, they actually fear for what could happen. So we don't get anything about why that is. Yeah, that was a huge plot hole that I was really annoyed with. Yeah. I kept exactly. waiting for him to bust people up, and it never happened. Did, yeah. Didn't he like just die after he got hit by the first time or something? Uh, so No, he actually didn't die. Oh, yeah. he, he made it through to the end, and Apocalypse's right-hand man... I, how are you guys pronouncing his name? I'm not. Chauvet or something like yeah Chauvet not even close to that that's just what Uh, I I had in my head (laughs) it's kind of like uh, do you pronounce it like Brett Favre so it's like Sheriff I don't don't know I've never seen Brett Favre's name in text (laughs) yeah I'm gonna go with with maybe that's the case where the yeah because it's we're gonna call him Shay Shay uh, I like it yeah yeah we'll go him Shay Shay so Apocalypse's right hand man Shay Shay at one point. When I think you were thinking he died, is he like sets him on fire or something? His yeah, his brain synapses start exploding or something. That's what Gene said something yeah, like that. And something like, in and his he's brain like, oh, is he's exploding. Be he's like, yeah, but he's gonna be fine. Don't worry. Yeah. That's what he said. I'm like, <laughs> brain's exploding. He's okay. Yeah, he's gotcha. like, no, no, he no, looks no, like he's totally fine. He looks like he's on fire. Yeah, but he's fine. Sure. Yeah, they did draw the flames around him, so I guess the brain synapses were. Um, yeah, firing. Well, they really <laughs> yeah. were, but maybe you know, maybe there was some like oil or something within him since he is cyborg hmm. or whatever part machine. But yeah, I, I kind of wish we would have something about him. But there's nothing else that he's ever in. Yeah, I ever. Mean, yeah, like, did they know him? Because it seemed like they kind of acted like they kind of knew him at first. Uh, I think that was just to go along with it. So okay, at that I'm point, like, so like. We've got this scene where Cyclops and Gene are pretending to be humans. Um, they go by the names Red and Slim, so if we reference their names as that, that's why. And they're raising Nathan. I think he is around eight at this juncture. Well, there's a time jump every issue. Yes, so. there's yeah. a large time jump every issue. I think he's around eight at this one. Yeah. He might be a little younger. Um, but they, they make it to this town. So, like, here's the thing. This specifically issue two and Liz you picked up on it too it is filled with like biblical messianic <laughs> um, like uh, imagery yes. throughout the entire thing so what, what parts did you pick up on I want you to go ahead and say that first it's the entire artwork to begin with they're literally like riding in on a donkey <laughs> and it you know it's just sort of what you traditionally see around like Christmas time with the nativity story of Mary and Joseph riding in on a donkey to bring the chosen child to Bethlehem and they even had the thing like literally from the Bible where you were supposed to check in like every decade or something like that to your hometown yep so and all, the, all the pools of blood that was coming through <laughs> yeah well I that mean, too <laughs> that's yeah. like that 10th or 11th plague right so <laughs> yeah 
So, so to your point there, yes, they're traveling back to this town that's designated for humans to go to. To it's like basically for them to go and get genetically tested again yeah. to ensure that they're not, I guess, mutants. Um, throughout, you know, like it activating later. I don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't be able to figure it out before then. It's the future, but whatever. So well, they, the, those guys were talking like it's actually a trap. Oh, uh, okay. But they never actually sprung the trap. So prior I don't know. Showed up. <laughs> so yeah, so they so they're traveling back for this, and like you said, there's this imagery, and on top of it, so you have this chosen one, this child Nathan, who is the, the supposed to overthrow this ultimate evil, and as a child, the evil one actually attempts to. Uh, to to capture him and murder him, right? So we get that when Jesus is born, Herod sends people to try and kill him, and the Joseph and Mary and Jesus head to Egypt to escape. So it's similar to Red and Slim taking Nathan, and they're trying to escape, and they go into like hiding, and then you've got like the imagery you were talking about where they're returning to Nazareth for the census, and this one is them returning for the genetic testing. So it is very heavy-handed. And when they return here, this is where we actually get prior Turin showing up. So the the mutants that are guarding this location or, you know, admitting people in, I don't really know how it works. I guess they let people in, but they don't let people out. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so they're kind of guarding this, this place. And um, at one point, uh, Nathan's, um, what was it, his techno-organic virus kind of spreads out. Right? Is that what it was? Oh, he starts to fight, so Gene can't, like, make his body look normal anymore. That's what it was. And so they're like, oh, this guy, you know, is going to be valuable. We're going to send him up to Apocalypse or whatever. And then Cyclops, I think, uses his powers, right? Oh, he was starting to, and it's like his eyes are sparking, but he didn't actually shoot anything because that Purin Tor, whatever (laughs) whatever his name is. Prior Turin? That one, too. Yeah. Which also... That's his his stepbrother. (laughs) <laughs> no, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, that's even kind of, um, there's the Shroud of Turin, lover. which is what is supposedly oh, yeah. the linen cloth that wrapped around Jesus. Yeah. And yeah, so this is, I'm going to have to reach out to <laughs> Scott Lobdell and be like, dude, what was going on here, man? Yeah. Um, since we're really tight these days. No. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so this prior Turin shows up and they all bow, like basically they bow down to him more or less. Like they're not literally bowing down, but they're like, oh crap, we can't do anything. And and that, like we get no real explanation as to why they're afraid of him. Nope. Kept waiting. Yeah, I, for something. I, I was hoping I missed something, and you guys would be able to be like, "No, Brian, there was this entire page of exposition that explained <laughs> uh, no. what his deal was." No, I kept waiting to see like, oh, is he like a descendant of some mutant that we know? Yeah, but I mean, I he doesn't even look too. like anybody that I was like, it's future. Maybe he's like related to Bishop or something. Yeah, but nothing. That would have been. Okay, I mean, other than the fact that he was, I guess, supposed to be human, but just anything, like any type of connection to somebody, like, but no. Like, even if he would have been, like, connected to the Ascani somehow, and they would have been like, oh, yeah, he's really close to Rachel. Can, nope. can mutants not have human children? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, I didn't... Well, humans can have mutants. Yes, but that's mm-hmm. that's evolution. So, I guess you could devolve going, I don't know. Well, I mean, it happens over a period of time. Right. Uh, it's probably not a completely upward climb. <laughs> Maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the answer to that one. I'd have to, have to check. I know some people that definitely seem like they went down on the uh, <laughs> evolution scale. Yeah, I can think of a few people in the family. <laughs> Just in the family. kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. No. So, 
Yeah. So that's uh, so that's part of uh, what takes place with prior. It's very disappointing. Like I said, I'd love to see like some kind of side story, like some miniseries or something, even a one shot issue just to kind of, you know, give 60 pages to the guy so that we have something. But given that this was, you know, 24 years ago, I don't think we're going to get that. Yeah, not so much. So we never returned to this world like to see Cable grow up or anything? That's an uh, untapped field? I believe we do see that, but we do not see anything with prior turn. Okay. Like he's just completely left aside. I don't know why. I mean, he seemed because he got fried. He's yeah, dead. Yeah, his brain, <laughs> his brain was no. screwed up, man. Like it was just straight up, like toasted. Like, no, he's uh, sleeping. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's but okay. uh, so, so okay. So, why is Apocalypse after Cable? Uh, we kind of learned that in this one finally. So the idea is that as Apocalypse continues to transfer host bodies. Uh, each one seems to get weaker and weaker in the sense that it cannot contain his power anymore. And he's trying to find the perfect host. And he is he's pretty sure he's found one. So, And that would be Nathan Dayspring Summers, who he infected with the techno-organic virus years ago. And his whole theory was, if he can survive this, then he's powerful enough to be my host. And Rachel Summers, as the mother of Scani, decides to clone a young baby, which... Is whatever as far as ethics go. Um, I mean, she's genetically making bodies left and right, apparently. <laughs> I didn't know she was such a scientist, but... Well, yeah. well she's sense. like over 100 years old. She's probably yeah. been studying yeah. a long time. And she's a telepath. She probably yeah. just stole the, the info from somebody's mind. But. Yeah, we just make a couple bodies here, make a couple extras right here, just hang them in the closet. It'll be fine. Yeah, and she's yeah. trying to save her little brother. Sometimes you throw ethics aside when so, it's your kid. Yeah. yeah, so she's trying to save her little brother by cloning her little brother so that she can take that clone and offer it up to Apocalypse so that Apocalypse can raise that kid to do whatever Apocalypse wants with that kid so that she can save her little brother that's not cloned. Yeah. Of course. Which brings into question, is that other clone her brother? And yeah, should you is, treat it like her brother? If, they should have had an episode where she like accidentally like dropped him. <laughs> and she's like, oh shit, which one is it? <laughs> oh yeah, because you can't tell yeah. from the techno virus. No, you can't. <laughs> I'm not going to like show my age at all here but <laughs> it's like that episode in full house when like jesse oh. mixes up the twins yes. you know and he's got <laughs> exactly he's gotta you know try and find you know it wasn't the ink pad or whatever to figure out which one was which it's the same <laughs> thing right like rachel would be pulling out the ink pad trying to figure out which yeah. one was her was her real brother and which one was her clone brother but yeah it's an excellent question as far as uh you know the moral ethics of cloning and and how that would relate would that be your brother how would you answer that? Um, I would probably think of it as my sibling. But if you're making it literally to like save your actual born <laughs> flesh and blood brother, then I guess that kind of you're going to have to cut that out of your head and just kind of push that down. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah, she would have to kind of disassociate from that. Otherwise, What's the point? Just keep the clone one. Like, this clone one doesn't have this disease, <laughs> yeah. so I'm going to keep the clone. This is a good one, so. <laughs> I healed Sorry, him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look, Ma and Dad, he's all fine now. <laughs> a little psychotic, but. Yeah. Yeah, you know. So, yeah, so we see, uh, you know, Scott and Gene raising Nathan. At the same time, we see Shay Shay and Apocalypse raising uh, who we know as Strife. And Strife is crazy. Yeah, yeah, he is. What's your thoughts on him? Uh, that is you, crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Say more. Did you, Did you all ever watch that uh, Twilight Zone episode with the little kid who sends people to the cornfield that he doesn't like? Yes. Yeah, it's it's him. It's just him. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
Did you not see that? No. Me no, too don't know that one. It's I, super what? famous. You, I, I don't watch Twilight Zone. I know. I disappoint. <laughs> I disappoint. Sorry, but I do not know that. There's I, even a sequel, but okay. We'll move on. I'm so sorry, Liz. <laughs> I don't know that reference. There's also one. Uh, yeah, it was in the movie, too. Oh, I haven't seen the movie. Yeah, it was in the movie, too. Oh, jeez, was... Liz, you haven't seen the movie? Come <laughs> it was on, like, what kind of fan are you? It was like that. But Sorry, I... I am the Twilight Zone gatekeeper here. We need to... <laughs> yeah, so, okay. So, before... All right. Let me, re- re- let me rephrase this. Scott Lobdell here seems to really push the idea that nurture is more important than nature. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah. Like with that, Scott Lobdell is pushing with, that. Yeah, with where the study is going. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so this idea is that uh, apocalypse is raising strife, and strife is backcrap crazy to the point that he is literally just killing people because they don't they don't make him happy. Like they tell him to do something he doesn't want to do, and he just kills them. And it doesn't help that apocalypse has sped up his mutation. So even though he's only like eight. He's able to do all the freaking things that he shouldn't be able to do until he's like 13, 14, which is also a trying time. And he probably shouldn't be developing those powers either if he's already this crazy. But yeah, fair. Anyway, kind yeah. of a Joffrey kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. Oh, That's sure. I got a whole Joffrey vibe off of that. Yeah. Like, don't I like send that. any women to his room. <laughs> That'd be a bad Aww. move. Poor Brad. <laughs> Man, that's that's painful. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, the whole reason why he was perfectly fine with him doing that to other people was because he wanted to see where his mutations were leading to, what kind of powers he was developing and everything. So it's like, yeah, go ahead, kill some people. Let's see. That's a good point. Like Apocalypse clearly doesn't, doesn't care about, uh, you know, he doesn't truly care about mutants being the all, all thing. It's more about him being the all thing. And so he's okay for these people to be sacrificed for, to basically see what he wants to see from strife so that he knows if this is going to be a good host body for him or not. And, you know, we see Nathan much different, like to the point that like when he starts to develop his powers, he's kind of what kind of afraid of it. I think I can't remember. Yeah. yeah. Gene had he just wanted to it. be normal. Yeah. Yeah. He's like sick of having this mutation on his arm from the techno organic virus. Now he's mutating, you know, it turning into an actual mutant that he probably had no idea he was going to be. Um, and then you see Jean trying to you know, nurture him through this. And she even goes to Cyclops like, hey, he needs help. Like, you know, we need to actually be there as parents for him, which is a stark contrast to the way that Strife handles his mutation. It's like, oh, I can do what I want now, whereas Nathan is, I just want to fit in. I'm sick of running, I'm sick of being on the go. Yeah. Um, but so. I'm, and a lot of that has to do with like his condition and whatnot. But this is a developmental psychologist, like ideal <laughs> scenario. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a whole sect of psychologists who do twin set studies where you find twins who were like separated at birth and then you compare all kinds of stuff to see if it was nature versus nurture. Unlike what Scott seems to think, a lot of it comes back that it's nature, but <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, so I almost feel like, um, it's it's not a this would not be a good study from the sense that one is not doesn't have a disease the other one has sure. one so that totally yeah. impacts the the nature of the the growth right so yeah. um but yes to your to your point like that is what 
psychologists love to do is test twinsies, right? And twinsies. Like, yeah. <laughs> and now, you know, I mean, if you didn't have darn ethics in the way, we could just clone everybody and right, find like, out. Yeah. Problem like, solved. Yeah. Hey, you want another brother? Here you go. <laughs> hey, spare parts. That's all I'm saying. Spare parts. I think there's actually a movie where they like clone their daughter for spare parts because oh, the other seriously? one's sick. Yeah. There's also some scientists that are kind of pushing for that. Jim at least from like a um cloning like what is it like fetuses or whatever i can't remember if it's fetuses oh. or like some type of de- development there um for the fact of spare parts because they i guess they're trying to zero in on a way to clone specific parts not just like a the human as a whole but like specific parts of a mm-hmm. human well so they've been that doing that have, for a while though yeah. Like they would grow ears on rats and stuff. And I well, remember I don't that. know that that was on purpose. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oops, uh, yeah, yeah, we meant to do that. <laughs> like, here, here you go, here's an ear. Um, but anyway, uh, so yeah, so um, Adam, you and I uh, kind of talked briefly uh, before this podcast about um, Apocalypse raising this child uh, to what was it to uh, sacrifice? How did, yeah. how did you say it? I mean, pretty much he's raising him just to kill him. He's gonna. I mean, he's gonna take over his body, and pretty much he's gonna lose his soul. So it's a pretty heartless way of doing things. Yeah. So know? he's the the selfish father, as opposed to a more selfless uh, parenting from Gene and Cyclops, where you've got Apocalypse raising this child specifically as a, a an heir for his, you know, for him, like not for the boy. Yeah. Because he's gonna take over the boy, and. Um, so it is, and what what I thought was interesting was the way that you kind of worded it about um, raising a child to sacrifice for himself, because what you kind of see is that Jean's willing to sacrifice herself for her child, Apocalypse willing to sacrifice his child for himself, and then Cyclops was willing to sacrifice his parenthood for his child. Hmm. So there's yeah. a like this little this whole theme of sacrifice, and I think even one of the issues is titled sacrifice. I think it, you're right. Yeah. So you've got this dynamic here showing the different ways in which we can sacrifice. Because with Cyclops, it was, he has this baby boy, Nathan Summers, who gets infected with the TO virus, and if he keeps him, he's going to die. But if he sends him to the future and lets somebody else raise him, he's going to live. So giving up your child for adoption because you know that it's a better life for that child, that would be insanely difficult for me to even wrestle with that concept. Oh, but, yeah. But that's what he does. And then with Jean, you have her where it's essentially her stepson. I mean, even though he's the son of her clone. So again, back to the whole, like, does that make him her son? I don't know. Um, Not really, but sort of, because she kind of raises him here. But yeah, so it's essentially her stepson, Mm -hmm. and she's willing to sacrifice her life for him, whereas Apocalypse basically takes this stepson for himself. So, And see, and he messed with his head, too. Like, the whole time he kept saying how he was going to be his heir. Mm. And uh, technically he was, but yeah, not so much. Yeah. Do we have any background on like the hosts of Apocalypse if they are still like conscious within him? I'm sure there's some type of background on it, but I haven't read a whole lot of it. Mm-hmm. Like he has his own uh, miniseries back, I think it was during his origin in Egypt, mm-hmm. um, which I hate that I've never read it. And now I'm probably like going to go read it because. I'm like thinking about it. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I, I'm sure there's something that's touched on that, but I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. He's kind of like Thanos, but without the girlfriend issues. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty yeah. much. There you go. Which is why I like Apocalypse better than Thanos. Yeah, but <laughs> uh, though it's kind of really weird to see future Apocalypse because he, I guess, he feels so safe and comforted in this world that he lives in that he's allowing the host body to be exposed at all, the all time. times. Yeah, I know weird. that's what I thought was really strange when I was. I'm like, he's just out and about in front of all these people. Yeah. When does that ever happen? <laughs> And it's a super old lady. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe it was a young lady when he took over, and then well, like, probably because yeah. you know she her body was so weak by the end of it. You know, it's been like two weeks, but she's like you know about to die. And speaking of old ladies, you've got Rachel who looks crazy old in this one. Let's talk about Rachel's artwork. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh yeah, that's horrible. When she first showed up. I 100% thought she was an old man. Like they, <laughs> even after uh, Jean started calling her Rachel, I'm like, oh, is it Rachel inhabiting this old man? I don't understand what's <laughs> happening right now. It took, yeah, it took a long time. And I think it was maybe the second issue when she looked a little, slightly more like an old woman. But yeah. The, the <laughs> art that, raises, was... that raises other questions too. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> well, I well, mean, seriously, because I mean, she has this ability to be able to put people in other bodies. Why did she never do that for herself? Yeah. I mean, why did she, why didn't, I mean, she's got the same genes. She could have, you know, cloned herself a new body and then hippity hopped on over. Okay. That, that is a very compelling argument that should have been addressed. But yeah. why couldn't she do that? Because that kind of would have solved her problem. Yeah. You know? Problem solved, done. But also, she's lived a long life. I mean, sometimes. Uh, a point in your life you're like okay i'm ready to like, move I'm, on to whatever is on the other side of I this think, i'm done raising kids I'm yeah, done I'm just raising kids. you take them over i'm done it's not it's even like, mine he's only he's not even two yet and you're already done <laughs> yeah i'm out i'm, I'm out. in terrible twos man you know but, how that no, is so about her look though so she has a short hair in this one which is like a throwback because when she first debuted she had um short 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 red hair that actually as far as the style of it looked very similar to what she has in this one. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, but when she was younger, they drew her more like a woman than they do in this one, and this one does look like an old man. Yeah. So, so that was her as an old woman. Yep. <laughs> and then when she uh, presents herself to Nathan, and she decides to be a 14-year-old girl, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious when it's like, yeah, this is my ideal form of myself as a 14-year-old girl. <laughs> and I think if you surveyed 100 women, yeah. <laughs> what is your ideal yeah. version of yourself? None of them would say 14. <laughs> yeah. 14 with the acne and the awkward <laughs> body is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe she was meaning like, uh, yeah, I situationally, yeah. I mean, she explained yeah. it, but still, I'm like, oh, Scott, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's the one area that Scott Lobdell failed as far as representing <laughs> females yeah. accurately. Uh, no, yeah, and so Rachel, um, so her arc throughout this is basically she pulls Cyclops and Gene of the Future, and then there's a battle at the first at the end of the first issue, and she basically tells them like, I brought you here to raise Nathan because it has occurred to me that he is not going to be healed of this techno-organic virus. And her whole goal was to raise him and have him healed so that when he was older, she and he would be able to take on Apocalypse because I guess at this point the Phoenix Force has left her and she knows she cannot handle Apocalypse on her own, but she thought a, a healed Nathan plus her would be able to do it. And now she realizes that's not the case. So she... She even makes like some comment about how like they're going to need her in a different place than where she's at right now. So she, it's like she almost willingly gives herself up to this coma 
that she's in for the majority of, well, basically the rest of the series. And we only get a little hint that she's even alive still when Nathan follows uh, Scott and Jean uh, as they're going on a raid, essentially to find out some information on Apocalypse and his group. And um, during that point, like Nathan is hiding and then a battle breaks out with Shay Shay and his people and Scott and Jean with the people they're running with. And then he starts, Nathan starts hearing this voice in his head, like telling him how to use the computer and what to do. And so he starts doing that. And it's, that's the first real hint that we get that Rachel's still alive. Like I actually thought she was dead. Yeah, no, I thought that was Gene for like the first three panel or three pages of mm. talking in Nathan's head. Exactly. Like, oh, how is she concentrating so well doing both of these things at once? Yeah, and it's like, yeah. why did she choose herself so young? That's kind of weird. Yeah. See, I kind of at that point thought it was Rachel as soon as I read it, just from uh, one, the language felt a little different in the way she was mm. communicating to him, and two, I think she had been talking telepathically with Nathan throughout his life, so they kind mm-hmm. of had already established that kind of rapport. So if he, if he knew if that was happening and it was his mom, he would know it was his mom, and he wouldn't have been shocked. The other thing mm. about it is. They color the bubbles different. Yeah. So when Jean yeah, was I like talking, that. I like yeah, that. That was that was a, a good touch, sh- showing when one was thinking versus the other. Um, I like that a lot more than just the normal like cloud-like bubble that we get for thoughts. Yeah. So I kind of want more of that, even <laughs> though that's not how they they do things. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Rachel helps him uh, with the computer, and then we find out that she had um, essentially given herself up to this coma so that she could. I guess, I don't know if live long enough. I don't know how, if that would be the right way to say it. Um, but to basically be there for Nathan when she knew that, that uh, he would need her, uh, which was mentally more than anything, to help him through some of those dark times. Like the, tar- the time you're talking about when he was, or she says that this is what I looked like at 14. Like, this is my favorite self. <laughs> um, this is basically before the Sentinels killed all my friends and family. Like, yeah. I think yeah. that's basically <laughs> what much. it was. Um, at that point, like uh, Nathan is actually in a coma almost himself because the techno-organic virus has spread so much over his body that he doesn't even look human. Like He, he literally looks worse than the prior Turin guy that we see. And um, she, she mentally you know, contacts him and helps him gain control of his power to the point that he can kind of push it back in and go back to, to somewhat normal. And then when he wakes up, He's with Cyclops, and he's like, hey, we're needed. And Cyclops is like, no, dude, you got to rest, man. You were just in a coma, and like, yeah. you had metal sticking out all over you. I didn't know what was going on. And, and Nathan's like, no. You need no. a rest. You need an oil change. Yeah. <laughs> an oil change. Don't rotate the tires. He's like, look, I know a girl that loves oil. I'll go. I'll go. <laughs> exactly. oh, no, See? No. He's Maybe only it's Cyclops. <laughs> See? There you go. Maybe it wasn't Gene Gray's clone. Maybe it was really Cyclops. Maybe. Would yeah. explain the oil. <laughs> Oh, it would. Mm. So, uh, so so many things explained. Yeah. So he's like, no. He's like, nah, man. We got to go help mom because I can tell she's in trouble. And at that moment, what's going on is is Gene and Prior Turin have gone to, I guess I don't remember if it was a raid or if they were literally going to try and take out Apocalypse. I thought it was just a raid. Yeah, I think so. And then at that point, Shay Shay shows up, and this is when he catches uh, Turin on fire mentally. Yes. Um, <laughs> Because he can't stand to fight with a human. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. Big, yeah, that's a, like he literally like he's says, on their side. He yeah. just kills the one human that's with them. Yeah, exactly. He's like fifteen feet tall, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, 
It's like I don't I don't want your help, dude. You're yeah, so Shay Shay's racist uh, or speciesist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how you would call that. But uh, so yeah, he tells Gene like, hey, we're not rolling with him, but I'm gonna help you take out Apocalypse. So then he and Gene team up and they go after Apocalypse and when Nathan wakes up from his coma, this is the part where he's seeing where they're off together trying to take Apocalypse. So um, at that point, Cyclops and Nathan, you know, rally to the battle that's going on. And at this point, Apocalypse is trying to transfer himself into strife. Like it's time now, like the sacrifice is ready. And yeah, so he's, he's free of his armor while he's trying to do this and Scott and Gene and Nathan all show up to fight him and Shay Shay distracts him long enough for Gene and Cyclops and Nathan to kind of get the advantage over him. And they end up killing the host before he can transfer into strife. Yep. Like that's it. Apocalypse. <laughs> like, like all that planning, all those thousands of years and boom, you did so, just like that. <laughs> So is this actually the end of Apocalypse, or do they come up with some way to make him come back? I'm going to go with no. Okay. That's not I mean, the end of Apocalypse. Well, it the, is 2,000 years in the future, so I mean, I guess prior versions of him could show up. But So they mentioned something like they? that, that there's other hosts or something like that. Oh, he has other followers. like That could take could become hosts or something like oh, that. Oh, maybe. So maybe, I'm, I'm assuming this is not the end of Apocalypse because this is comic books. So I feel like even in the future. So I won't dive into too much of current stuff, but it seems to me that either this story ends up being placed in a different universe or, um, or there's something that happens after this and he's not, gotcha. not dead. But I'm, I'm kind of just guessing at this point. I know when you look up prior to Ren, he is stated as living in a different Earth universe than 616, which I found interesting. So I guess Cable's not from the 61s. Well, no, Cable is, but he went and lived in a universe that wasn't the 616. I don't, I don't know. It gets weird. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> now you've hurt my brain. Does Strife yeah. come back? Is Strife someone we see later on? Yeah. So yeah. Um, Strife is in the Executioner song arc that oh, we covered. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I thought I'd heard his name before. That's where. So if you were to go back and read that arc, you would be like, oh, this makes so much more sense why Strife is like this. Yeah. Because this really fills in the gaps of, of his attitude. It also helps explain one of the confusing pieces of it where uh, we were kind of led to believe that Strife was the true son and Cable wasn't. Mm. But this kind of clues us in that that is not accurate. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. It also is kind of odd that throughout all this, Cyclops and Gene just don't tell Cable who they are. Yes. Yeah, they're I'm going like, to raids and all, how does he not know this? Why? Yeah, I'm like, why would they not just tell him? Oh, by the way, we're your parents because he was even <laughs> he was even complaining about it. So I mean, and he, they both know he's got an issue with this. You know, not ever being with his real parents. Maybe, why would you not just tell him? So maybe that's the whole. If you if you mess with the time, you essentially create a new timeline instead of honoring it. Maybe that's what, you know, so like by I telling, mean, they're changing by everything. Telling, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, well, they're changing the future, but cable himself travels back to the past. Right. Mm -hmm. So if they give him information that he doesn't already have in the past, 
then that impacts the past. But wouldn't you want to go back in the past to help your parents more so than if you hated your parents? Well, let's see. So they've got uh, this. <laughs> what's going on right now? So all right, we've we've had bishop With your debate come, table there. We've, we've had yeah, <laughs> we've had bishop come back to the past. We've had Rachel Summers come back to the past. We've had Cable come back to the past. We've had uh, Kitty Pride and some weird Days of Future Past stuff going on. Um, and all those futures end up a little bit different. So they're probably like, you know what? It doesn't help anything by trying to change the past by coming from the future. So let's just go ahead and not screw with anything. Don't have to change it. All they got to do is say, I'm your dad. Well, he does mess up at one point and calls him son. And he's like, what's that word mean? <laughs> oh, it's an outdated word. Because I guess you don't call people like, yeah, yeah. son and daughter yeah, anymore. son and daughter is no so, longer a so word. There's, so they do make note that there's old English and then I guess there's whatever English they're using yeah. in Apocalypse World. Um, so yeah, I don't know why in Apocalypse World the word son would be a different word. Yeah. Speaking of throwaway lines that establish this world, so... Poor Jean Grey has already been ripped from her honeymoon into this world where she is raising someone else's son in the apocalypse. And there's a line where they're like kind of almost making out and they're like, I don't know why you all cuddle up to each other so much if like copulation is illegal or something like that. So I'm pretty sure they were ripped from their honeymoon into a world where it's illegal for them to have sex with each other. I don't know why. I guess because they're humans, you're not supposed to repopulate. I think so. I think yeah. that's the... Well, either the, way, they're rebels anyway, so... <laughs> I, mean, yeah. I mean, based on Nathan's reaction, like, I'm pretty sure they're not honoring that law. <laughs> like, just saying. But yes, that's astute observation there, Liz. So this is no. the biggest horror story that we've read so far. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most it's frightening scary, future. scary future. Uh, yeah. It's a future I don't want to live in, if I'm being honest. No. Definitely not worth it. <laughs> But okay, so any other thoughts before we move on to the epilogue of this story? Um, the artwork for the Technovirus was really, really good. I didn't realize that Cable had to essentially keep his entire body together, and that's why he's like distracted yeah. sometimes. Um, but the body horror in this was very effective. See, what I what I liked with with Jean's uh, art pencils in this is that I actually liked the background and the uh, let's see technological pieces or like the computer-like stuff that he had going on. Um, I was a big fan of that. It was the faces and bodies that I had a problem with. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. rest, like the world and way that he that he established it or created it with the pencils, and then, oh, who was on inks? I can't remember. There was somebody with the last name Summers, by the way, um, but it's spelled different, that was involved. And I can't remember if he was the one on inks or not, but whoever partnered up with Gene to do the inks on this and then the colors, I think the world itself looked I think the world itself was very well done I just the the people just ruined it um especially the faces faces were rough like there was that one guy I couldn't like scare it or something that looked like Cyclops but wasn't Cyclops Mm -hmm. he just looked like a really old man Cyclops and he was wearing red glasses I'm like why why would you do this like why would you make this decision just to confuse people but uh any other final points on this one Adam no, yeah, I didn't really care for the artwork at all, except for like the technovirus. That was the only thing I really thought was well drawn. Everything else, like you said, the faces, it just—I don't know. It was rough. Maybe, maybe what they were trying to say is descendants all look less appealing than than ancestors. In the future, so. everyone's ugly. Yeah. That's why they don't copulate. <laughs> <laughs> but you know who did look great 
was Gaiac, who was the unsung hero of who this entire the crap story. Who the hell is Gaiac? <laughs> Me and Brian were talking about that when we were sitting at, long, at, the, at dinner. We're like, he who, is, do you know who Gaiac is? I have no clue. He is the robot skeleton who plugged into oh, the database and then okay. was taken oh, from yeah, us yeah, too yeah. soon. That yeah. guy was cool. I want a comic book of him where he's just walking around doing everyday things. I want to see walking? his dead face as he's like trying to go on a date with someone. <laughs> <laughs> he reminded me of... He's got the creepy of, jaw. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shoot, what is his name? The one from Rogue One. K2SO or whatever. Oh, God. I know. Yeah, the robot you were talking yeah, about? The, yeah, the one from Rogue One. That's who it I reminded me of. I have no clue what number it was. But uh, no, so, okay. Thanks, Liz, for bringing that up because we should <laughs> make note that a very important part actually happens in this, which is the development of the legacy virus that's yeah. ransacking you know, the current timeline. Uh, so they actually stumble upon it during one of the raids. They find the the location that's building it, more or less. And they find that they've gotten to the point now that they have this virus, but they can't get it to distinguish between human and mutant. And right now, it would just destroy the entire population of both. And eventually, someone gets it and figures out, I think it's Strife gets it and figures out how to take out mutants. Mm. So in Executioner's Song, that's where we get him giving it to Mr. Sinister, and then it kind of breaks out from there. Um which that that see, I'm glad you mentioned Mr. Sinister because I mean he's always been after the summers, and then you have Apocalypse after the summers. You think there's some correlation there? Yeah, I thought they worked together for a minute. Well, just for that one thing, but I mean, he, Sinister was obsessed with summers way before he met up with Apocalypse. Yeah, because he knew their genes would create like this perfect specimen that would be Nathan Dayspring Summers. So is that where Apocalypse got the idea for it? He's like, hey, I can't. Well, re- I- I don't remember if it was retcon to where Apocalypse gave him the idea and they were working together or not. I can't remember, but there's but I know what you're talking about. It was originally just Sinister, but I don't. I know Apocalypse was involved with Sinister, and I don't know if that's how. I can't. Yes, he. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to look that up. Yeah, but yeah. Okay, so shifting gears to the epilogue. So they've defeated Apocalypse and they are mentally yanked back to the past. Uh, where they awaken on a shield helicarrier of all places with Nick Fury. Um, and they clearly go back into honeymoon mode because they're back to um, loving all over each other. And Fury's like, well, legal. what's that? And they're both attractive again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> That's why they're all about it. They're like, thank God. I've been kissing that ugly ass face for 10 years. Like, it's got to get better than this. We going back yet? <laughs> He's like, you can tell it was love, honey, because we were still, you know, affectionate yeah. in the future. Also, um, they've been married for 12 years now, so right? you'd think they'd kind of, you know, slow down a little bit. Oh, well, yeah, no, they got the young hot selves again. I mean, like, like, imagine, yeah. This imagine is why I married you. <laughs> imagine Come here, though, baby. if you were like, you know, in your 50s or 60s, and then you're back to like being in your 20s, you'd probably be. <laughs> yeah. Everything's yeah. in the right place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Um. So yeah, so Fury tells them that there's this uh, dimensional rift that's occurring and it's expanding and it's dangerously expanding to the point that they only have a few hours before it's going to take over the entire world and destroy everything. Um, so he is getting their help because they were the closest X-Men around, basically. Like, nope. <laughs> like That's literally what it is. He's like, oh, she was asking for like Xavier or like children of Xavier and you guys just happen to be on a beach of this place. So like knocked Excuse out. Excuse me. No, it's called Charlie Children, <laughs> which it. is yeah, what Charlie the X-Men children. will exclusively be called from now on. <laughs> I do love the Charlie Children. It's such a good, good line. Um, 
And this one is by Nicieza. Uh, so this one, we get, do get a different writer um, and obviously a different artist. It was a guest penciler. Terrible right now for not remembering who it was, but it is a guest penciler that I don't know that he's really done anything else with X-Men. But um, regardless, Fury has enlisted their help to take out the, or to go investigate this rift and they go to, uh, to shore. They go down onto this island to go check it out. And the thing that I was wondering, Liz, if you picked up on, which I'm 100% sure you did, why is Cyclops still in his uniform and Gene is wearing, like, I'm going to go through the jungle in short shorts and... uh, Yeah, like Tomb Raider style. Yeah, she does look like Tomb Raider with red hair. Um, I mean, I know sometimes when you pack for your honeymoon... You pack a little less. I don't know why Cyclops isn't enjoying the luxury. He probably nothing. He's like, I'm gonna be naked the whole time. Exactly. No, no, no. He's Cyclops, man. So he probably only packed his uniform. He was like, I'm gonna need this or a pair of khakis, and he wasn't gonna wear khakis going through the jungle because that was his nice pair, and he wasn't messing up the pleats. It was out of the trunk. It is hard to get those pleats back in place. So he's got pleated khakis. He's got a polo. You know. But no, he, he chose to stick in the uniform. I don't know. And I'm pretty sure Fury was even in jungle gear, too. Uh, Maybe. Yeah, I he mean, was. Yeah. <laughs> but not Cyclops. Not our man Maybe Cyclops. Not. He's dedicated to Charlie's children. I'm not messing children. up my good clothes. Um, so they, uh, they eventually get into the dimensional rift, and they find this woman who is going by, what was her name? Sunset Grace or Grace? I think she's yeah. going by. Yeah. Um, Grace. And it's this very, uh, he, he is a very... Um, tragic story that this woman has. So she is a mutant who can create these, you know, reality altering dimensions or basically create dimensions that exist with whatever she wants. Her gift is Minecraft. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Minecraft on a huge scale. Yeah. Um, so she can do that. And at one point in the past, Xavier came to her and she was like, oh, he's here, you know, he's very sweet or whatever. But we find out that Xavier actually just blocked her mutant ability so that she couldn't destroy the world accidentally because he didn't trust her, I guess. Um, and so she still thinks he's like the sweetheart, right? But Scott and Jean figure out that that's not really what happened. And so she ends up, you know, basically living her life like a normal person and she gets married and she has a kid and they're driving home one night or wherever they were driving to and they, the car, um, was it raining, I think, or something? Something like that. Yeah, and it goes around a curve, and she's thrown out of the car, but the her husband and her kid are still in the car, and it goes off of the cliff, and that's when her power comes back, because like it's just such a huge moment for her that she's able to break down that barrier that Xavier planted in her. And when she does, she creates this dimensional rift that the car goes through, and then it seals and she's hopeful that they made it through the other side alive, but she lives the rest of her life not knowing. And she's kind of unable to tap back into that. So she's not really sure of what's going on. And then because of whatever Rachel Summers did to bring Cyclops and Jean to the future, it created this weird dimensional flux, I think is kind of how they explain it where like her powers trigger and she creates this dimension again and now it's expanding and she's in it. And she is inside of it and it keeps growing because she's continuously searching for her husband and her son, unable to find them, hoping that they're still alive and they've grown old. And that's where we get Cyclops and Jean coming into this situation, uh, trying to stop her for the sake of all of mankind and the (laughs) universe, probably. Um, 
And I, I, I don't remember the entire way in which they solve this or resolve it with her, but more or less, um, she, the, this grace woman ends up creating her husband and son again, like, or at least the versions of them that she hoped they would grow to be. And that kind of soothes her and calms her. And then she stays inside of this dimensional rift as it closes and Cyclops and Jean get out. Um, thoughts on this story being the way that we end their journey together. Well, <laughs> the story made me cry. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, um, mostly because I thought it wasn't the old lady who made the son and uh, husband. I thought it was Jean. And I'm like, oh, no, this old lady's going to go through the rift and they're going to be gone when she gets to the other side. Because gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Jean's like, wait, no, you don't understand. So I thought Jean had created them to soothe her. Mm. Yeah, but then they explained in the next one, and I'm like, okay, this is a little better. This is still super Look, sad. There's your son and husband right over there. Close <laughs> it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that'd be that'd be messed up for Jean to do. I mean, she's done some messed up things. Um, she shut down some minds before. In uh, one of the first comics that we read for this podcast, she actually shuts down a mutant who's spiraling out of control. Um, just literally shuts him down. So she's not against doing what needs to be done in the right circumstances. So that would fit with her personality completely. Yeah. Uh, Adam, did you cry? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's okay. I was, you can thinking, I was thinking though, as it's like, okay, they said that, that they were dead before they even hit the thing, but you sit there and look at the pictures. It's like, they didn't hit nothing when she opened the portal. Unless so, they hit like the guardrail hard enough, but then it should have killed her too. Yeah, she was the only one thrown from the car, so she yeah. should have been the one that was dead. True. So my whole thing was, it's like, okay, you know what? She probably saved them in the crash, but there's, they've been locked over there for how many years? And is there food in that world? She just starved them to death. That's yeah. That did not. Uh, that is not something that I did not think of. Like I had that same <laughs> thought. I'm like, yeah. So they've been living over there with no food, but I also had the thought that's even more messed up um, because she's unable to control this. Did the dimension just cease to exist after that moment? Oh. And then they were just gone. Oh, see, there you go. Mm. It sounds like what she creates is still there when she comes back, though. So they starved to death. Yeah. Yeah. Well, also, did you ever see that episode of Rick and Morty? <laughs> it's kind of like one? this, where uh, the 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 wife, when she was a kid, she had her make-believe world and she like stuck one of her friends in there and they went back in and she thought he'd be dead but he had like started eating her make believe creatures and then he reproduced with them and <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of what this that's reminded me <laughs> kind of like a praying mantis kind of thing yeah kind of mating mm-hmm. <laughs> okay yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's little little dinner morty but you know <laughs> i don't have words for that <laughs> Yes. The episode's great. You should go watch it. My brain is going in so many different directions with that. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I'm good. I, I don't. I don't have a way to save this. So. Um, we get the Liz. It's fine. Hard cut. Hard yeah. cut. No. 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 It's totally fine. It'll stay in because it's cut. ridiculous. All right. So, any other thoughts on that epilogue issue? Uh, there's. I. I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time on it because really it's kind of just that. Like that's the story. They get back from their their future. Uh, experience and then they they save the world by you know pulling this woman or well not pulling this woman helping this woman and uh, closing the rift and uh, yeah so I, I guess I guess it sort of parallels with the whole they were ripped from the future and left without raising their child um, 
so it's similar in that vein, which is probably why this experience with Grace was more um, emotional for Gene than it was for Scott. But anyway, any other thoughts on this one? I have a couple. He mentioned, okay, so I'm wondering how long were they unconscious when they found them? Because I thought they sent an hour. Yeah, was this an hour? Sure it seemed it an like hour. it was longer than hour See, or two. Because he even mentioned how the Shi'ar tech, like he was talk, talking, like he tried getting a hold of the mansion, and they, they it was there was no connection. So I'm like, what the Shi'ar tech? F- up? Well, so we this, read that issue, didn't we? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Is this the one? So that's what I'm wondering. If it was a was it during the exact same time? It must have been. Mm-hmm. Because or was it twice that the Shi'ar tech screwed up? Because <laughs> then it's not so special now, is it? <laughs> I think the point is to let us know when this is happening in the timeline, yeah. which would line up with the whole, I think it was Uncanny X-Men 312, where um, Sabretooth is let loose in the mansion because the beast hits a reset button on the Shi'ar tech and it goes down and like everyone's like, oh crap, Sabretooth's free now. <laughs> yeah, but it was such a good episode. People should listen to it. Yes, yeah, you should. and read Go back. the issues. Yes, <laughs> read, like, yeah, sure, read all the but issues. But listen to the episode first. <laughs> Here's what you need to do. Listen to all the episodes and read all the issues. Um, <laughs> and then go back and listen one more time. Yeah. Exactly, so that way you can a different device. <laughs> from so a different device. Redownload. <laughs> <laughs> At least from a different IP address, okay? That's all we need. That's all I'm saying. It's all good. Yeah. Go to the library. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> Oh. All right, what else on this one? Fury's chair. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Because the background where Fury is is completely different than where everybody else is standing. And he's just got this poop face. <laughs> well, did <laughs> you notice si- the note? Yeah, it said oh, Fury's chair. Yeah. Leave it alone. So I'm like, is he sitting on the toilet? Is, <laughs> is that why Gene and Scott look so awkward? Because Gene, like, Scott scratches his head like, what the hell am I supposed to do right now? And <laughs> And Fury's just sitting there looking like he's going. Mm. <laughs> That's just his face. Uh, yeah, that is just his face. But he I mean, it was perfect. Face. I'm it so is. glad he was in this too because I needed his cynicism to like cut the wholesomeness of all yeah. that we had read. God. Uh, but he also has a mug that says Nick's mugs. So yeah. <laughs> like, I love that he just labels everything. Yeah. So they should get him one of those labelers for Christmas. That'd be genius. It would. Yeah, I I will say about this issue, Liam Sharp was the guest penciler, and Uh. I actually loved so many ways in which he he changed things up or depicted scenes. So there's like a scene that's a a very large shot of a profile shot of Cyclops, and then like the rest of the scene scenes are taking place around, and it's all Cyclops focused. And then a few pages later, we get the exact same thing, but from Gene, and it's facing towards the opposite way. So yeah, um, like they're, you know, kind of looking at each other or unified there. And just some of the ways in which he breaks down the panels are brilliant and well done. And like, aside from the ridiculous costumes that he put them in, the yeah. rest of the issue is like, honestly, some of the, um, the most creative art that I've seen within anything that we've read for this podcast. Um, yeah, so, it was beautiful. Yeah. Like, um, stark contrast to <laughs> Adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix, yeah. which apparently they couldn't get anybody to draw that one. 
Yeah. Or, or they really did just try to find somebody named Gene. Like that. I really <laughs> think that's what they went with. They were like, what, "Which artist do we have on file that can?" Like, there's an intern. Gene? Yeah. <laughs> it has an ear. Been a while since I've read anything with Gene in it. Yeah. And then I saw, you know, the beginning of this, and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that kind of looks like Gene. Like, you know, like someone who's an apocalypse mother version of Gene." And then we get to this, and it's like hot babe Gene all over again. Yeah, and I'm exactly. like, "Oh no, I forgot." Yeah. <laughs> that's what she looks How like. How could I forget? <laughs> The redhead sex pot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it makes so much sense, you know? I mean, her yeah. her descendants just really married down or something. Yeah. Exactly. And then Scott's clone looked like he was constantly being stung by bees. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so good. Oh, ouch. All right, so... What was that whole beach bump thing, too, that Nick said something about it? Uh, the Grace was a beach bum kind of thing? She was selling um, selling stuff down on the beach? Was she? Yeah. I don't remember. Well, she she saw them because she was collecting seashells. So she's probably just like, you know, one of those people who live out in the Caribbean. Yeah, that you don't trust. And- they say they're selling seashells. It's actually some cocaine. <laughs> trust me, I've been approached by them before. That's, you want uh, some necklaces? It was not oh, necklaces. <laughs> oh, that's uh, like when we were on our honeymoon, ironically. Um, we were in the Bahamas and some woman kept coming up to us every day that we were on the beach and she's like, yo, Bahama mama, you yeah. want your hair braided? Hey, pretty lady. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, very similar to that. So, all right, ratings on this. So we're going to count X-Men 35 with it because it is technically like the epilogue for Cyclops and Jean's honeymoon, which is a crazy honeymoon. Um, <laughs> the scale goes like this. One to three is ban, four to seven is borrow, eight to 10 is buy. Adam, where do you land? I would say an eight. On the whole thing? Yeah, on the whole thing. Because, I mean, it's a lot of good backstory you kind of need to have. Okay. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say a solid eight. Nice. Liz? Um, for the first four, I'd say six. I mean, definitely read them. I just, I'm not interested in buying them. They didn't grab me up <laughs> for that. And then probably a seven, just because I liked the 35 a little bit more for the artwork and whatnot. Okay. I think... Um, I think I land right in the middle of you guys with a seven overall, which I hate to do um, because, you know, I've recently heard somebody say you should never give a seven. It should be a six or it's good enough to be an eight. Seven is like that. You're just kind of copping out on what it is. Um, <laughs> These are my feelings. Okay. Yeah, mine too. So I'm going Don't with make a her seven. Cry. I'm going with a seven. Dang it. No, so I, I do think I land on a seven on this. I think to Adam's point, it's, ex- it's very good. Interesting. Not interesting. It's very important. Backstory. <laughs> On Cable and Strife. Um, so if you're X-Men fans, it's worth um, reading, if if not purchasing. And then 35. Honestly, for the longest time, I couldn't get over the costumes on the cover of the issue. <laughs> but as an issue itself, it's actually a pretty solid issue. Um, and then especially, like I said, seeing some of the rest of the art direction that goes on in it. So, um, so yeah, I'm going to land at a 7 for that one. Uh, up next, we've got Spider-Man Smoke and Mirrors. That's uh, going to be covering Web of Spider-Man 122, The Amazing Spider-Man 399, and Spider-Man 56. And uh, for a full list of upcoming episodes, you can check out marvelmythos.com. And uh, if you'd like to reach out to us at any point uh, to talk about any of these issues or to let us know your thoughts on any of them, please send me an email at marvelmythospodcast at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Austin, are you recording? <laughs> I don't remember what my Insta- Instagram thing is, but I have one now. Okay, look, both of you, go ahead and plug yourselves. I don't... <laughs> that's really rude, Brian. We're family, dude. Come Jeez. on now.
I would never tell you to do that. <laughs> <laughs> to your face. <laughs> Just no, I honestly messages. can't remember what it was. Uh, I had to do it for something. I can't remember what like the Hoskins thing was. A one. I don't know. I don't know. It's probably go plug yourself. Yeah. At, nice. Yeah. There you go. Okay, Liz, plug your Twitch. What's okay, your Twitch? Okay, fine. Um, that sounds even worse. Plug your Twitch. Plug your Twitch. Plug your Twitch. I can't. Okay. Um, so I don't really do social media much, but if you want to watch me play video games not very well, you can follow me on Twitch. I am Psycho Pineapple Zero. So, yeah. Psycho Pineapple Zero. That is an awesome name. Yeah. yeah. Is that a Sparky Boy fan or nothing? That's Psycho Pineapple is, yeah, Zero is also her uh, PlayStation name. Yeah. Is yeah. It? No, I, and I think I have now like uh, pulled it on like social media as well. I'm kind of grabbing a brand just in case something great happens. Yeah. That should <laughs> actually just be your podcast. Psycho Pineapple Zero. Psycho well, Pineapple see, Zero. we've talked That's about awesome. doing a couple podcasts within the family and I don't know if I want to buy like a website for each one. So I'm like, mm. what if I just buy one website with like a universal name for all of them and there you go. make it the landing page for everything. 